listening to SBS on the Money with Ricardo Gonsalves. It is your daily 10-minute business and finance news wrap for this Monday, the 3rd of July, 2023. Later on market day, the biggest IPO of the year goes live. What next and what does it mean for Virgin Australia? But first to the property market where CoreLogic says home values rose 1.1% in June. That's the fourth consecutive monthly rise, although the pace of those gains have slowed. And for the year, the national market is still down 5.3%. For more, Rainer Bosch spoke with Tim Lawless. He is the head of research at CoreLogic. We're still seeing housing values rising quite quickly, in fact. A 1.1% gain over the month is a little bit less than what we saw in May, uh, down about a percentage point, um, but still, sorry, down about a, um, about 10 basis points, but still it's quite a strong rate of capital gain, especially when you consider how high interest rates are against this backdrop of very elevated levels of household indebtedness. Uh, Still being led by Sydney as well. Sydney housing values are up 1.7% of the month, taking its cumulative recovery to nearly 7% since that market bottomed out in January earlier this year. Now, we've heard in the past the main driving force behind this seems to be that supply and demand dichotomy. Is that still the main driving force according to this data? It certainly looks that way. The supply side is probably arguably the the biggest factor here where we're still seeing the number of homes available to purchase based on listing numbers, more than a quarter below the previous five-year average, uh, about 15% lower than a year ago. And that's the case across most of the capital cities. We're still seeing prospective vendors seemingly sitting on their hands, which probably has a lot to do with sentiment or confidence being as low as what it is. Then the demand side, of course, still being influenced by extraordinarily strong net overseas migration that's running into very, very tight rental conditions. So I think there's probably some at least anecdotal evidence of uh, some spillover happening out of rental markets into purchasing demand as well. Tim, you spoke briefly about Sydney there. Hobart, on the other hand, was the only capital city to record a decline in their housing values. Why is that happening? Yeah, Hobart's an interesting one. It's the only capital city where listing numbers are quite elevated, well above the five-year average, although it's moved from from very low levels. It's the one market where we're not seeing uh, uh, the rate of absorption keeping supply levels quite low. It's also a market that doesn't have the same sort of demographic drivers as some of the major capitals. So interstate migration is going backwards. Net overseas migration is positive, but certainly not as influential as what we're seeing in the larger capital cities. And then there's also just the affordability side of things. Hobart's been one of the strongest performing markets over the past decade. So the gap between Hobart and the other mainland capital cities is a lot narrower now than what it was, say, uh, 10 years ago. Now, Tim, as we know, the RBA is due to meet tomorrow. How will they interpret this kind of data? Obviously, housing prices do factor into their decision. Absolutely. Well, the RBA doesn't target housing prices as such, but they've been quite clear in the last few statements uh, that were released after the board meetings was that higher housing prices potentially could see inflation holding higher for longer, simply due to the wealth effect as households feel wealthier because their housing prices are going up. So I think uh, you know, still seeing a 1.1% gain over the month is, is still a very rapid rate of, of growth, especially against this backdrop of uh, high inflation, 
and uh, and a fairly stubborn consumer uh, set set as well, where we're not really seeing as much of a pullback in discretionary spending as what I think the RBA would have liked to have seen. So arguably, this strong result in the housing market could be another factor that weighs on the RBA's decisions to push interest rates higher. And finally, Tim, we have to ask, what are you predicting in terms of market movements moving forward? It does look like the rate of appreciation in housing markets is quite entrenched, but maybe a positive sign for those looking to buy is that the rate of growth is just pulling back a little bit through June. It'll be really important to monitor that over the coming months to see if this develops into a trend. I think if we do see higher uh, interest rates, which is looking very likely, that probably will dampen some of this exuberance and we we would see uh, the rate of growth easing back. Whether or not that's enough to actually push prices into a, uh, a second round of declines, I'm not too sure just yet uh, because we'll still be left with this undersupply of housing that we're seeing in the marketplace that's likely to keep some support under prices. Tim Lawless there from CoreLogic speaking with Raina Bosch. Now, Market Day on the SBS On The Money podcast. The Australian share market rose today. The S&P ASX 200 up by 0.6%, 7,246. Consumer discretionary and gold stocks doing best. For more, I spoke with David Burton-Jones. He's the Chief Investment Officer at Equitas Investment Partners. David, shares a little higher today. Why and which sectors are driving the gains? Uh, hi, Ricardo. So today was all about better than expected macro data. Specifically, we had the housing finance approvals data, which was well above expectations, and the building approvals data, which also shot the lights out. Now, you'll recall that the interest rates have really put a dampener on those sectors. To see them rebound today suggests that the economy might be weathering the RBA's rate hikes a little bit better than expected. Ultimately, you want inflation to come down, which it looks like it is, and the economy not to fall over, which it looks like it isn't. And that's driven some strong gains across the home builders and the consumer discretionary names today. So speaking of rates, the RBA board meeting tomorrow to discuss a possible 14th uh, interest rate rise in this current cycle. Um, What's the market expecting? Well, the the market is expecting a a hold tomorrow, no change, although there's pretty considerable uncertainty about it, given the range of estimates that we see published through to to Bloomberg. So generally speaking, the market is still pricing two more hikes, which should be fully priced by around the end of the year. And that's a pretty similar outlook for, for most central banks, with maybe the exception of Japan. I know a lot of the tech stocks aren't doing well today, but there's been this broader market theme of seeing tech stocks doing well, particularly in the US, right? Why? And is there more puff to come? And how much of that is related to, to, to um, I guess, rate expectations? Yeah, there, there's some genuine excitement about what large language models like ChatGPT can do in the future. They can already pass the bar exam in law. They can write a better screenplay than than many producers can. They can write computer code more succinctly and efficiently than I can. The possibilities are pretty enormous. And that means that the possible earnings that you could make out of harnessing the technology are also pretty enormous. So that's driven a lot of the tech and tech-adjacent stocks higher. In our view, for a lot of tech companies, this is just like 1999, the time just before the tech wreck, if you'll cast your mind back. It's a bit like the arrival of the internet. It it took decades before companies could meaningfully capture 
revenue from the concept. And it was also very difficult to capture that value for any specific firm. It, it spilled over, if you like, to the benefit of many, as opposed to being contained to the profits of just a few select companies. So I, I don't think that there should be more puff, uh, as you put it, but there's no doubt that the, the bull or the horse has the bit between the teeth, uh, so to speak, at the moment for that sector. Okay, let's focus on Australia and the um, IPO sector. Australia's largest chemicals distributor, Redox, listed on the ASX today. It's the biggest IPO of the year, market cap of around $1.3 billion, and it follows such a quiet year for IPOs. I think the quiet since uh, about 14 years ago, right? Um, why are we seeing um, uh, s- s- such less activity in this space? Yeah, so the, the Redox IPO has raised some 400 odd million, I think, and that puts the company at about that $1.3 billion mark by way of valuation. Generally speaking, it's very hard to put out a prospectus that guides the IPO or underpins it or a term sheet when the macroeconomic variables are so volatile and that there's this fear that you'll fail to meet the sales and revenue and profit forecasts that are embedded in the prospectus, simply due to an unpredictable external environment, which would then really disappoint those that supported the float, those that cornerstoned the float, and that can open you up to to class actions and the like. Nobody wants to be sued, so I guess the, the simple answer is that confidence has been pretty hard to come by of late and management doesn't want to get burned promising outcomes that they can't credibly commit to or deliver on. So the rising cost of capital has also caused many companies to rethink about listing. Few things are are more deadly to corporate activity than the price of money going up. And the stockbrokers have been telling us for about a year that it's, it's been dead quiet on the deal flow front. We've also seen listing activity from the ASX, the exchange operator, decline significantly over the last two reporting halves. Indeed, their volumes are down anywhere between 30 and 40%, depending on the classification. If, however, interest rates don't push us into recession and firms can gain some certainty over their outlook statements, activity will return. So to get that confidence, we need inflation to slow and rates to stabilise or fall. That's what will support further activity. So just how closely, in addition to that external environment, right, how closely do you think market players will be watching that Redox performance today and in coming days? Because aren't there some big names waiting in the wings to potentially list? Yes, there are. So many eyeballs absolutely glued to the screens. Today, they'd probably be ever so slightly disappointed by performance to date. Not that that especially matters, although everyone wants to bank a 10% pop on IPO day. The companies waiting in the wings, um, one that we've talked about before is the Virgin IPO. That's probably a particularly challenging one. Everyone can see the capacity issues, the lack of supply, the strong demand. That's meant that Qantas is currently making excellent returns. But equally to IPO and airline, just when everyone is afraid that the economy might roll over, due due to the uh, impacts of cumulative prior monetary policy tightening, it's a bit of a tough ask. So more broadly, there is a bunch of private equity deals out there that the owners would uh, undoubtedly like to float to recycle their capital, everything from daycare centres to to pets. So yes, lots of eyeballs on investor take-up. But again, when you can get 5% almost risk-free from cash, from term deposits, from floating rate credit, the investor appetite for IPOs Barring a really compelling deal that leaves a lot on the table for potential investors isn't going to quite match corporate desires to float.
Okay. Wrapping up, uh, where do you see the opportunities for investors at the moment? International equity is still look good to us. The US, uh, they're in a very strong place. Their, their housing market is very strong. It's very undersupplied, just like ours is, but doesn't have the leverage issues that our market does. Doesn't have the overvalued uh, or overextended household balance sheet issues that ours does. They've also got the CHIPS Act to promote domestic manufacture of critical industries across semiconductors and chip fabrication. They've got the Inflation Reduction Act, which is not really about reducing inflation, but rather about electrifying everything and addressing climate change through infrastructure investment. That's quite a compelling mix of investment expenditure and, and optimism, frankly. So international equities look look pretty good to us from an asset allocation perspective. More locally, AGBs, Australian government bonds at 4% and Australian investment grade credit at say 55 to nearly 6% look excellent, we think. So it's probably unsurprising that with yields at the highest level in some 15 years, the relative value of bonds to stocks is, is quite different now. And hence we've been allocating Within domestic equities, we're still staying away from the pointy parts of the market. So we think that consumer names will continue to struggle due to interest rates and insurance companies will likely continue to benefit, we think, also due to rates. The domestic tech sector, we started uh, by talking about the international tech sector, but the domestic one looks very overbought to us. There's no real AI, artificial intelligence bleed over for many of our names. There's no NVIDIAs here. That's the big semiconductor GPU manufacturer that's been leading the NASDAQ's charge. So we're staying away from those in the local market, staying away from companies like Xero, WiseTech, Prometicus. That is David Burthen jones there from Equitus Investment Partners. This SBS On The Money podcast is provided for informational purposes only. Content on this podcast should not be understood as constituting advice or a recommendation. It is not personal advice and does not consider your personal circumstances or objectives. You should contact a licensed professional before making any financial decision. Listener.